Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Law School Lounge podcast. This is a Carolina Academic Press production where we discuss everything law school. The Law School Lounge is a place for students and faculty alike to discuss law school and the law. We hope you'll hang out with us for a while. Welcome to the Law School Lounge. My name is Crystal Norton, and I am the host here at the Law School Lounge podcast. This week, we are starting a set of episodes where we are going to discuss law review. Anyone who's thought about going to law school, who's been in law school, and or who's entered the legal profession in some capacity has heard about law reviews and law journals. Because law reviews and law journals play such a large part of a law student's experience and play such a big role in the legal profession, I wanted to be sure to cover them in episodes where we discuss at least the basics of what a law review is, the history of law reviews, why law reviews are important, and what participation in a law review might look like from a student perspective. And so to discuss this introductory set of topics on law reviews and journals, I was joined by special guests, Dean Darby Dickerson of the Southwestern Law School and Professor Brooke Bowman of Stetson University College of Law. Now, these two wonderful scholars are the co-editors of the Scribes Manual for Law Review Editors. The Scribes Manual goes much more in depth than what we're going to cover in this episode. This episode is meant to be an introductory component, right, an overview. So definitely make sure if you're deciding on whether or not to participate in law review that you take a look at their book. But for somebody who might be just starting out in law school or who's on the fence about whether or not law review participation is right for them, This episode can help you get started in considering those options and making those decisions. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Please sit back, relax, and happy listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Law School Lounge. I am fortunate enough today to have with me Dean Darby Dickerson and Professor Brooke Bowman, who both work on our Scribes Manual for Law Review Editors. And so in our discussion, we are going to talk about all things law review. I just first wanted to say thank you so much to you both for being here with me today. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Well, let's get started, I'd say, with the very sort of basic stuff, right, which is just law reviews and law review membership. And so the first thing that I want to ask you is, what on earth is law review? Sure. Great question. I wouldn't have known that question before I got to law school. That makes two of us. (laughs) Law review is a scholarly legal periodical, or an academic journal, if you will, is typically managed and edited by law school students. The journal or law review publishes articles that address current legal issues, 
Sometimes there are entries that dissect recent cases or laws that have been passed. And sometimes it includes other materials like essays. Even sometimes you see poems. So the bulk of the content from these law reviews come from law professors, judges, practitioners, and actually law students. The other thing, when you hear the term law review, it's not just that publication, but it's often used to describe the activity or the course. So when you say, I'm on law review, that's a signal that you're a member of law review. And sometimes that's considered a for credit academic course. Sometimes it is considered a co-curricular activity. Okay. Well, and in your answer, you mentioned both law reviews and journals. So are those the same thing or are they different? Well, the terms law review and law journals are often used interchangeably, just like I did when I answered your, your prior question. But some schools and people do distinguish. Generally, if law review is in the publication title, it refers to a general broad-based publication that covers a wide range of legal topics. On the other hand, when you see law journal in the title, typically that's a signal that that publication publishes on a very specific area of law, like environmental law or intellectual property, providing more specialized insights. So sometimes we call them specialty journals. Okay, so there are specialty journals. Are there also specialty or specialized law reviews? It's that that would I would say you're using those terms interchangeably and schools call their publications different names. If you just go on a shelf, you're going to see all different types of of designations. Law Review and Law Journal are just two of them. Typically, if a law school has multiple law reviews, one is referred to the as the law review. So the Southwestern Law Review, the Stetson Law Review, to use our two schools as an example, that means that those journals will typically accept articles on any topic. But if a school then has multiple law reviews, those others are referred to as law journals or specialty law journals. And they're typically focused on a narrower area. Got it. Now... This is kind of looking at it from a scholar or research perspective, or just like sort of a naming convention perspective. What is the difference between, as you said, the law review and journals or specialty journals when you're a student and you're in law school? Besides, as Dean Dickerson mentioned, the difference in the focus, a more general You heard her say like the Stetson Law Review, Southwestern Law Review, compared to one at our school, uh, the International Law and Policy Law Journal. It's a journal of international law and policy. Um, Sometimes the structure, and we'll get into that, I'm sure later on in our conversation, sometimes the structure changes. But at its basic core, it's, as Dean Dickerson mentioned early on, the publication of scholarly articles by judges, professors, um, as well as student notes, that the naming 
is interchangeable. The focus may be different compared to a specialty journal or not. Um, but then they're structurally, there may be some differences in how the law review is run. And I'll hop in and say from a student perspective, you, you may have a difference at some schools, especially when there's a grade on or write on competition to get on. And I know we'll be talking about how do you get on a law review or a law journal often, but not always. It's that general law review that is considered to be more prestigious, and it might take higher grades or a higher score in the write-on competition to get on. Also, from a student perspective, the law review might be publishing more issues during the academic year than a law journal in a specialty topic. For example, I've been at schools where the law review, the general journal, if you will, publish six or four issues per year, but the specialty journals publish only one or two. So when you're looking at a workload, um, that could be an issue. And as Brooke mentioned, there are some structural differences. Often the law review, because it might publish more issues, takes more students mm. and it's a larger student organization. So maybe you have 60 spots on law review, but maybe each journal only has 20 or 25 positions. Okay. No, that all makes sense. And and it's interesting because I guess I kind of only know it through my own perspective. And so ours was all grade-based. It was like, or you wrote on, but it was like, if you were in the top 10%, you were on law review. If you were in the top uh, the next 5%, you were on, you could do one specialty journal. If you were in the next 5%, you could do another specialty journal and so on and so forth. Um, but it's interesting because as we have this conversation, we are talking a lot about student involvement here. It sounds like students are really heavily involved in the law review process. And so how did law reviews get started and why exactly are law students so involved in this process through time or like historically, how did that happen? Well, let me start with your first question first. How did law reviews get started? Um, doing a little bit of research, they started way back in the 1850s and their goal was they highlighted recent court decisions local news and editorial comments. The first actual law review that is still in existence was back 171 years ago with the University of Pennsylvania Law Review in 1852. Now, the first student-edited law review appeared in 1875 with the Albany Law School Journal, but it was founded more, probably more similar to a legal newspaper and it did fold after one year. Then the Harvard Law Review, and that's the one I thought of, that's the one that started it all. Well, it, it did. It's, it's the first one in 1887 that resembles what we think of law review today, that a, it was founded by an organization of students. It's created then with faculty written articles that were um, solicited and then student edited. So that's where the founding is. But it's been going on for over 170 years here. Your second question is why do students run law reviews? Um, obviously, it seems to be by tradition. I mean, there's a handful of peer edited journals and law reviews, probably more than a handful out there. 
But this has been a, a, a tradition going on for centuries now that nobody has changed. It's kind of cool to think, I mean, I didn't know the history of it. And, and it's kind of cool to think, oh, I was part of that legal history. That is really cool. That I like that. I like that a lot. And let me, let me jump in here if you don't, don't mind with a couple of other tidbits. You know, one reason that law journals came to be in that 1850 to 1880 timeframe was a change in how lawyers were trained. Before Christopher Columbus Langdell, who became Dean of Harvard Law School in 1870, came about and shifted the emphasis to the case method, which we still rely on to some extent in law schools today. If you wanted to become a lawyer before that, it was by the apprentice model. Mm. So you were reading law, working with an individual lawyer or a small group of lawyers. So when the shift occurred and there was this emphasis on the case method, uh, the other thing that happened and the reason why that came about is because the appellate courts at that point were starting to publish more opinions than ever before. So there was a need to analyze these cases. So the law journal emerged from the need for lawyers and law professors to understand this growing body of case law. And why students? Well, it was a workload problem. <laughs> there were a lot of students, a lot of very talented students, so why not use them as the editor? Now, that wasn't a foregone conclusion because in most fields to this day, academic journals are peer edited. They're edited by experts, by professors or others who have advanced degrees in the topic. So we are an outlier. And as, as Brooke said, the tradition has, has stuck. But one of the reasons is that it has been efficient. Students have been getting the law journals overall published in a relatively timely manner. Think about the educational benefits sure. to students. I think law schools realize that the process of editing a law review provided them with the um, ability to hone and develop skills in close reading, critical thinking, legal research and writing. It gave them a platform to learn about cutting edge issues and to work with attorneys and professors. So all of those benefits continue to be uh, the same benefits and, and advantages that we see in journals today. And, you know, you, you both kind of touched upon this a little bit, the fact that law reviews and journals are made up of a form of legal scholarship. And could you, either of you, explain a little bit deeper how exactly this impacts the profession or how it impacts cases, or I should say rather the law, the state of the law? Well, at its simplest point, law reviews or law journals are opportunities for authors to do an in-depth study on current legal issues. Um, so the new case comes out, the new law is made, and that's just fodder for let's discuss it. Is it the right decision? Is it the wrong decision? And so it starts the conversation. So not only thinking about where the law is, but also where the law should be. So not only critiquing what is, but also predicting where to go and, and thinking about law reform. Um, and so 
courts do cite law reviews. And so it's an opportunity to, to make a little bit of difference and continue the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other great thing about law reviews that's developed over time is that students can write for law reviews. So, you know, when you think about it, it's a democratization process. We're getting views from people at the beginning of their legal careers. It's not limited just to those who are more established. So it's also a place where these new ideas and emerging leaders and voices can be heard. And I think it's really important for students to know that law reviews don't just write about things that have already happened. Oh, there's a Supreme Court case. Let's talk about why it was correct or not correct. Or we can see that a case is traveling through the court system up to the Supreme Court. Let's try to give our advice on how the court should resolve the issue. But there's some really significant ideas that originated in the reviews. For example, you might have heard of the Coase theorem. That's a, a theory in law and economics that argues in a world without transaction costs, the initial allocation of property rights does not matter for economic efficiency because the parties will negotiate towards an efficient outcome. That You see that talked about all over. Many students have probably heard in the news, if not in law school, about critical legal studies. The CLS movement emerged in the 70s and 80s, heavily using law reviews to disseminate those ideas. We, another term we hear is intersectionality. Professor Kimberly Crenshaw coined that term in a 1989 article in the University of Chicago Law Forum. For those who might not know exactly what it means, it explores the overlapping and intersection social identities that an individual can experience because of discrimination. Two more to share with you. Professor Lani Guineer, who was a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, wrote a series of law review articles on proportional representation and voting rights. And those concepts are actually being used by jurisdictions now. And if you're wondering where the student authors are, in a 2004 law review article out of the University of North Carolina's law review, a law student argued that the don't ask, don't tell policy violated service members' First Amendment rights. And that argument was later used in successful legal challenges to that concept. And let's not forget the impact on the academy as well, that yes, we've got the educational function for students, but also law reviews are ranked and they contribute to the reputation of the law school, but also, believe it or not, they are part of the hiring, promoting, and granting tenure to law school faculty members as well. Professors are required to write and then the law review and the ranking of the law review can have an impact on the progress through the tenure process. No, I think these are all really interesting points. And those were all things that when I had gotten to law school and there was all this talk about law review, I it took me a minute to catch up and understand sort of what the impact was and sort of the far-reaching consequences of handling anything in a law review or or citing to a law review or reading a law review, just kind of what that actually means. And actually, one of my favorite 
stories is, and I don't know if y'all know her, but her name is Professor Deliso Alford. She's at the Southern University Law Center here in Louisiana. And she wrote an article back in 2012 called HeLa Cells and Unjust Enrichment in the Human Body. And it was about Henrietta Lacks. And she's now working on the case representing in a civil action with Ben Crump the family of Henrietta Lacks and the unjust enrichment that her family didn't ever receive due to the use of her cells and so many scientific advances throughout the time. And her original article from 2012 actually formed the basis for the litigation that's currently going on and the whole theory behind their case, which is just fascinating to me, right? You know, there's sort of this concept or misconception rather that People just do law reviews because, as you said, uh, Professor Bowman, you know, people kind of have to do it in order to get <laughs> in tenure, right? But the reality is, it's so much more than that. It really is. You know, one joke in the academy is that sometimes professors feel like they're writing for the three or four other scholars in their niche area. Uh -huh. When you stop and think about it, many law review articles have an impact. Courts cite them a lot, attorneys use them, and yours was a great example of an attorney seeing something that was in a law review article and pulling someone in to a real case with real consequences. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating and it, and it's important, especially as a student, you know, to to understand what what it really means to be working on this. And I know that we've touched upon this just a little bit, but you know, as a student who's working on a law review, what are the responsibilities doing law review or being on law review? How much time does it take, right? What does that actually look like through the student's experience? Well, let me let me hop in on this one. The time commitment is going to depend on a variety of factors, but it can be considerable. So you want to, if you're interested in being on a particular law review, or a particular journal want to make sure you're talking to people currently serving in the role that you're going to move into to understand that time commitment. But some of the variables are how many issues or books, if you will, does the, the review or journal publish in a year? Do new students have to write a scholarly paper or prepare any other type of work? For example, some reviews have their students create blog posts or case summaries as part of their duties. Do you have to take a specific class as part of being on law review? Or are there set meetings, whether it's once a week or once a month, that you've got to attend? What are the other responsibilities that that review puts on its members? So do you have to hold office hours? Do you need to engage in outreach activities to the student body in general or to specific organizations? And another one is, are you receiving academic credit for the activity? And if so, how much? In that case, our accreditor, the American Bar Association, has rules on how many hours you have to put into the work to be able to get that much academic credit. But typically, if you're a new law review member in your first year of service, you're going to have two primary responsibilities. 
you're going to be participating in site and source projects. And those have a variety of names like site check. Some people call them blue booking after one of the citation manuals um, and other things. And the second big responsibility in many journals is you have to write your own scholarly paper that might be published in the law review. And often these can be anywhere from 30 to 100 pages, depends on your topic and how much time you devote to it. So think about that. You would be writing one of these articles that you're reading in the review. So you could just imagine how much time when you look at the footnotes and how the expectation about citing often multiple sources for virtually every legal proposition that you you cite. Um, so those are the two two main things. Well, actually, if I may, because when you hear Dean Dickerson say this huge time commitment, it is, it is. And so members of our, our audience may be wondering, okay, so I go to classes and all I do is law review. And that's not actually the case. You can balance, and I know many students who balance uh, externships or clinics, as well as advocacy boards, including trial team or moot courted dispute resolution. I mean, it takes a great deal of time ma- management and balance, but you you can do more than just law review, even as an editor. But it, it's something to take into consideration because it, it will require some, some time management skills. Sure. And I, I think that's really, obviously, that's great advice for anyone. But as sort of the reach and accessibility of law school expands, I'd say that's really valid advice for what you might consider, for lack of a better description, a non-traditional student who's balancing like a full family life or a full-time job and also law review, just kind of understanding a little bit better what exactly you are signing up for. Uh, And Dean Dickerson, I would love to talk about site checking. (laughs) It's my my favorite thing. (laughs) But... Um, but before we do that, let's maybe, if you don't mind, would we can we talk about that when we get to the editorial board Absolutely. a little bit more in depth? Sure. Okay. Okay, great. So, you know, if you're, you said, you mentioned that somebody should talk to the person whose role they're going to take over to get a better feel for the time commitment and what exactly their schedule might look like. So with that in mind, is there a hierarchy or a structure within the law review? What are these roles you're talking about? There is a hierarchy within a law review. Starting at the top is a group of students called the editorial board. These are students who've already completed a year on the law review or law journal And whether through election or some other selection process, they are now the leaders of the organization and publication. And they typically have the word editor in their title. And there are a wide variety of editor positions. And this is pretty contextual to the specific reviewer journal because there's no set list that you have to have. Most journals have at the very top of the structure a position called editor-in-chief, and that person is broadly responsible for making sure the publication gets published on time and is accurate, and that everyone involved with the publication 
is working together as a team. You might then have a second person in command. And again, here's where titles start to vary. Sometimes that's the executive editor. Sometimes it's the managing editor. One or the other of those is usually managing the staff on a more day-to-day basis than the editor-in-chief, and also doing a lot of the final or near-final edits on pieces. You then have one or more editors called articles editors. These are the ones who pick out the what we call lead articles, the, the articles that come in from the professors and the attorneys and the judges. They pick out what's going to go in the book, and they do a lot of the textual editing and work with a group of staff members that they're assigned to go through the footnotes and make sure all the footnotes through that site and source process are accurate. As I mentioned in a prior answer, on most journals, the students also have to write a scholarly paper. So they're a group of editors. They're often called notes and comments editors, sometimes student writing or student scholarship editors. They're the ones working with those students to help them pick a topic and to understand the timeline and to ensure that they're being accountable for getting the outline in and getting the first draft in. A little tip though, the person who gets to sign off on those papers is a faculty member who's known as the faculty advisor. And it's sort of like the professor for that course if you're getting academic credit. And then there are other editors. Sometimes you have a research editor or a candidacy editor, and they're the ones who, if there's going to be a write-on competition for new members, they'll pick the topic and run that whole process. Sometimes you have a symposium editor. A symposium is a special issue dedicated to just one topic. And often reviews will go out and invite people to write for that issue And they'll have a live conference, or these days, maybe even a Zoom conference on that topic. So you actually get to hear the authors you're going to publish. And then increasingly, journals have a diversity editor who helps with outreach to the general student body and also thinks about what are the policies of the law review in terms of who becomes an editor and how, who are you publishing and how. So that's the the top, if you will. The next layer are returning members who choose not to be an editor or weren't selected to be an editor. As we've heard, sometimes you're doing multiple things and you can be an editor and maybe be on book court board depending on your, your, your school and your situation. But sometimes people are involved in a lot of activities and they want the freedom to do that. So they're like, you know, I'm going to continue with Law Review but I'm not going to step up my time commitment to be an editor. And then below that are the new members, people coming on, however they're selected, to do those site and source projects and to uh, write their own paper. And they'll, the next year, move up either to the, the staff editor or returning member category or to the editorial board. It really depends upon the school and how it's structured, um, but each dis- each editorial position will have a job description with its responsibilities, and so you're probably wondering, you, you know, how much time commitment to be an editorial board member? Well, you can imagine we talked about the extensive time commitment for a 
just the associate, the new the new member, but as an editor, I can remember it almost doubling from the time that I was just a simple law review member because think about it, the editorial board is running what is lack of a better word, a business. And from publications to symposium to other outreach, etc. And so these are the leaders. And so they have a lot of administrative responsibilities. And while they may not be doing the actual site and source or site checking projects, they're consolidating all that work and double and triple checking before it's put out for publication. Um, on on top of other administrative responsibilities, so it, it's quite a quite a workload, many hours. Yeah, no, I I like that you brought those components up, Brooke, because I remember when. So I was one of the members that Dean Dickerson mentioned that that like I did it, but I was kind of in the background, and that's because I was the chairperson of our moot court board, and. Uh, when I signed up for that, <laughs> I was still friends with obviously all the people in law review and they, they, we, we had a lot of commiseration together. We hadn't realized how much of, you know, that administrative stuff, how much time that takes up. It was great because you learned some great skills from, you know, how to run a business type entity and how to overlap different sort of skill sets with just working with people on different industries, but, you know, budgeting and they were always concerned. It's, is it at the printer? When are they coming back? And all that kind of stuff and fundraising and just so many different aspects of that, that, you know, it's great experience, but you should go into it with your eyes wide open that those are things you're going to have to, can, to handle. Right. And so I guess with that in mind, what are some of the challenges for students who find themselves, you know, in law review in any capacity? I think your biggest challenge, we've, we've hinted at this over and over again, is time management. You didn't come to law school to be on law review. You came to law school to go to law school, and then this is an extra benefit. And in, in my personal opinion, it sounds like I'm very much like, like you, I... I was a first-gen law student. I had no idea, but I knew I wanted to be on law review because I knew I wanted to be a better writer. But as a non-traditional student, I was like, I had a career before. But the biggest challenge is how much am I taking on, right? And I learned quickly, the plate can only be so full because your fundamental goal is I'm going to go to law school and I'm going to pass the bar exam and then I'm going to go on with my legal career. Um, but there's other other challenges you face because as an editor, you're a leader and you're leading your peers. And so there's a challenge there that, you know, this is somebody who, oh, it's my best friend and I have to correct behavior. Um, that friend didn't turn in a site and source on time or the friend didn't return a call to an author that... It, you always think about time management and balancing your work product, but you don't think about all these other skills you're learning about how to work as a team. Because it takes a team to put out the product. The editor-in-chief can't do it themselves. And there's so the extra challenges of uh, I'm a quiet person, but I've got to learn communication skills. I've got to be timely in my responses. I've got to document if I do any sort of correction or heaven forbid, uh, discipline, 
I'm an editor and I've got to correct. How do I do that? How do I do that in an educational fashion? So I think the challenges are, some of them are not quite as apparent. One other challenge I'll mention is that you have some high pressure deadlines. Every law review starts with a timeline, but that depends on everyone, including the author and staff people meeting the deadlines that are set. And we know in the real world, things happen, life happens. And so, especially when you're a staff member, but also when you're an editor, you lose a little bit of that element of control. So sometimes a deadline might end up on top of another project or exam you have, or it comes during the reading period, or it comes two days before you're trying to graduate from law school. So understanding that uh, it's a little bit like being a lawyer. Your, your schedule is not always your own and you have to really be flexible and adaptable. And I will echo that I think the most challenging aspect for a lot of students is working with a variety of personalities. So much in law school is solitary. We sit there. Most people often study for the, by themselves. You take your exams by yourselves. So the high stakes stuff is individualized. Law Review has a big group of people working together, and there are a lot of personalities, and that can be a difficult thing to manage. Whether you're a staff member and an editor is sort of pulling rank on you, and even though they're just a semester or two ahead of you, acting like they know everything and you don't, if that can be grading, uh, or someone doesn't do their work on time and all of a sudden your site and source work doubles with no notice because the work has to get, get done. So I think it's the working with the variety of personalities that can be the biggest challenge. Well, now that we've made Law Review sound like such a fun place to be, <laughs> let's talk about some of the positives here, right? So what are some of the skills that someone would learn? We've briefly talked about those, but also, and I think this is really a big boon or why most people, you know, as myself as a first-gen student, I knew Law Review was really prestigious, so I knew I wanted to be on it, and that was about it for me at the start, right? And so how does being on law review impact your job prospects? You know, I think a lot of employers, rightly or wrongly, use law review and law journal as a proxy for excellence in a variety of skills. So because many schools use grades as a way to get on a law review, being on law review signals that you're a good student, but it also tends to tell them that you've had exposure to more complex writing and topics than many of your classmates. It means that in most situations, you've had to write a scholarly paper, which shows a lot of things, legal writing, legal analysis, legal research, grit, determination, the ability to stick with something, the ability to have extreme detention attention to detail, but other skills come into play, time management and punctuality, because people know 
law reviews are published on deadlines. If you're on the board, it signals that you have some soft skills, some leadership skills that they probably want in their newer attorneys. Again, if you're on the board, but even if you're a staff member, it signals that you have some amount of organizational skills or project management skills, which are very valuable to law firms. We just talked about the people element. Um, you've got to uh, learn to deal with a wide variety of personalities, not just the people on law review, but of the authors. So that's akin to getting along with everyone in the office and with a variety of clients. People on Law Review are always giving and accepting and incorporating feedback. And I think that's something a lot of lawyers tread to do is give feedback to someone. But if you're coming in and you have that Law Review credential, they sense that you probably have some ability to take that constructively and incorporate it and probably even to give the feedback if you're an editor. And then the last two that are on my list, and the list could go on and on, would be diligence. I mean, because it is a major time commitment and you're doing significant work. And resourcefulness, because if you've been on Law Review, you know when you get those site and source projects, some people consider them grunt work. But man, you learn a lot about how to find information and use information and work other resources like the reference librarian or your faculty advisor to get to what you need to. So it really teaches you that, you know, you've got to problem solve and be creative in how you do it. And there's some specific careers that they're going to look for this credential on your resume that if you come in the law school, now this wasn't me, you come in the law school wanting to go in the academia, wanting to do a federal clerkship, or even some of the prestigious big law firms, they're going to expect to see law review on your resume or CV. And so on top of all these skills, I, I think students lose sight of all that is gained from, from this experience. It's so valuable. But it also opens doors that maybe you want that door to be open. Right now, you don't think you're going to go there. You're, you're going to go to the public defender office instead. But it may open an opportunity that I know when we review faculty resumes, we're looking. Where do you want law review? Right. No, I mean, and, so. and I think that's just kind of the way it is. But I appreciate you both explaining why it might be that way. And I know... I ended up getting a judicial law clerkship with the attorney general's honors program. And when I did that, you know, for two years, all I did was work with a judge and do research and write. And so of course they wanted me to be somewhat involved in law review and to have achieved the skills that I got from law review, of course, from my other sort of activities, but you can see why they kind of correlate or why they go hand in hand, right? Because a lot of the skills you need to work on a law review article are the same skills you're going to be using regularly. And I think you could say the same in a big law firm, right? There's sort of this misconception that, you know, new lawyers are going to go into a law firm and go out to trial the next day. And that's just not going to happen. You're going to be writing briefs if 
you're not just checking briefs, right? So the skills that you acquire on law review, it makes sense. And so I guess that kind of leads nicely into the next component here. And that's, you know, we've mentioned you can do more than just law review, right? You can participate in different activities, even if you're on law review. But what kind of student should maybe focus on law review or maybe take the time to seek out one of these editor positions? If you are looking for some of the jobs where your career services counselor tells you law review is going to be an eligibility requirement or a strong preference, you should definitely consider that. And again, that would be most judicial clerkships, if you eventually want a career in academia, a lot of the big law firms and some boutique law firms, and some of the honors programs for the federal government, and even some honors programs at the state level are going to expect to see law review on there. Now, I will say, if you're going to be on law review, you need to be willing to make the time commitment and pull your weight because it is a team sport. And so it's always frustrating if someone does it just to get it on their resume. So I just want to make sure it be clear that I'm not saying do it to get it on your resume. You want to get the experience and the learning because these jobs you're going after see a correlation between the work they do and the work you'll do on law review. And another type of student who I would say, go for it. Even if you're not sure, go for it. If you have a passion topic and there's not a class in law school that really allows you to go deep, or maybe it did and you want to do more, think about law review because this gives you an academic reason to spend time for a full year thinking about your topic and researching your topic and writing about your topic and really becoming an expert in your topic. And there's so many ways you can then use that to, you know, become, get a, you know, get a job or position in that area and quickly become an expert when you're an attorney to get people to bring that type of work to you, whether it's other attorneys in your firm giving it to you. Oh, that person wrote a law review article on temporary injunctions or on this environmental topic, take it to them or to gain clients because you've already gone deep into that area. Yeah, I wrote a case note and it got picked up into our law review and it was on immigration, which is ultimately what I ended up practicing. So I can say, yes, in fact, that is all true. Not that anyone would think that it isn't, but I think it's a good sort of concrete example that I was like, yeah, I really want to practice immigration. And I was able to focus on something I just wouldn't have had the time or capacity to otherwise focus on. And, you know, I think that's pretty cool. That's a really cool thing about law reviews. Now, all right, last part of this 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 question here about what is law review and what's going on with it exactly. So let's say I'm a student and I have decided, all right, I'm all in, I'm going for it. How do I prepare for this experience that we've sat here and discussed for a while now? Is there anything I can do to make sure I'm ready to go? Uh, there's two things that come to my mind um, when you ask that question. 
Um, the first is I would learn as much as I can in my research and writing classes, especially about the citation manual and its use, but also uh, it's a second love of mine. Uh, I would learn all about the different resources out there and make friends with the librarians because in order to do those site and source projects we talked about, but I would really focus a lot on your research and writing classes, but also something I did, talk to law review members, ask questions. I actually, the property professor I had was the faculty advisor and bless his heart. He, as I said, first gen law student, answered a lot of questions for me and then brought the editor in chief of the law review in and she sat with me and talked to me about what is done, the time commitment, um, it varies from school to school, but whatever process it takes to get on the law review. And so Dean Dickerson talked about resourcefulness, be resourceful, seek people out and ask, and ask different people. As I said, I, I talked to the faculty advisor, I talked to the editor-in-chief, and I was introduced to just law review members. Um, so ask questions. Yeah, some advice I have is figure out what the law reviews and law journals are at your school. Typically, that's going to be on the website. So you, there's often a you know something that says academic journals or law reviews and journals. Figure out you know, do you have one? Do you have five? Which one sounds most interesting to you? And then learn about it. Figure out how you get on that journal. Often, again, you're law review webpage will say that if there is some component of grades involved, one of the best things you can do during the first year is focus on learning and focus on your grades and not join 10 clubs that might take you away from that. Your first year grades often determine so much of what doors open for you. Law reviews and law journals often have information sessions or open houses. So keep your eyes peeled, drop by, and then you can not only see the space, but talk to the students, as Professor Bowman has mentioned. Check with your career services counselor. Talk to them about what kind of work you want. And is law review or law journal going to be a highly valued item for that job because of the skills it entails? I think serving as a research assistant for a professor who's working on a law review article is always great. Sometimes that's difficult as a first year, but sometimes that opportunity presents itself. Read some law review articles as part of your class prep. Get a sense of what law review articles are. We're talking them about them. Sometimes your case, case books or course materials have little snippets, but actually go get one of those books and pull it off the shelf and see if this is how you want to spend your, your time. And if there's a write-on competition, find out when it is, put it on your schedule. It's usually a seven to 14 day period. Clear your schedule. If this means a lot to you, don't find yourself in say London for a study abroad program in the middle of a review competition or on a cruise for a vacation. Figure that out information out early and clear that time. Don't be trying to do three or four major things. Focus just on that. Well, you mentioned books, and so I'm just going to go ahead and shamelessly plug you both. 
if you're interested in law review and you're not necessarily sure what it's all about, or you're looking to prepare for your law review experience, the Scribes Manual for Law Review Editors, you know, edited by you two wonderful, intelligent folks, is a great resource for students who are trying to figure out what am I going to encounter? What is this going to look like, right? You guys cover so much great information in this book alone. You know, you talked about uh, law librarians and how to use them as a resource. You've covered that in your book. You've talked about philosophical movements philosophical movements, right, as part of what the discussion in law review articles is. You talk about that. You talk about diversity and all of those types of components. And so, oh, and we also talk about the business of law reviews. <laughs> so y'all cover a lot of really great information. And so, you know, I think there is a tendency when you're trying to prepare and you're a student to go out and Google it right? And like try to find whatever information you can find in this day and age anyway. And of course, not everything you find on the internet is a reliable source, something you will definitely learn in law school. Uh, but we know that your book is. <laughs> and so if you're looking for a place to start, I'd say that it's a pretty great place to start. Thank you, Kristen. No, of course. Thank you for creating this. I'd say, when I first looked at it, I thought, well, that would have been really nice to have when I was in, <laughs> in law school. What a great conversation, right? I feel like that was a conversation I wish I would have had right when I had started law school and as I was going through the journey of figuring out law review and whether or not I wanted to participate. And I know other people, my classmates, right, were kind of struggling with the same thing. And so I hope that this conversation helped point you in the direction that's the best fit for you and provided some great context to help you make these types of decisions and figure out whether or not participation in law review is right for you or even if you're not at that stage yet you just learn more about what law review is thank you to my special guests for all of their insights in the next episode coming out next week we're going to discuss the editorial board in more depth and talk about more topics related to law reviews if you could, please be sure to leave a five-star review if you're able on whatever platform you're listening that really helps promote the show and get it out there. Also, if you could boost us by giving us a follow on social media, please give us a follow on Instagram and X at Law School Lounge. And of course, if you have any requests for episodes, you can reach me directly at the Law School Lounge Pod at caplaw.com. Just send over an email. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Bye.